thank you for tuning in today and welcome back to another episode of The Source. I'm your host, Sand Raza. After Russian invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, former Prime Minister of Pakistan Imran Khan took a neutral stance. Soon thereafter, he was ousted from government with a no-confidence vote in parliament that many believe was orchestrated by the US government and the Pakistani military. To unpack all of this, I will talk to Professor Jureid Ahmed, who teaches law, religion and global politics. He's also the director of the Center of Study of Islam and Decoloniality in Islamabad, Pakistan. Junaid, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Zain. Before we look at how the United States recently interfered in Pakistani politics, I would like to first introduce Pakistan as a nation to our viewers. Can you introduce Pakistan, its economy, demographics, and thereafter provide some context to the political system there? Right. Well, it's... It's a very uh, unfortunate uh, history that uh, was left by the British uh, that uh, had, of course, colonized the at that time the whole of the Indian subcontinent, and Pakistan, and it was established in 1947 after the partitioning of uh, India, and there was at that point two two wings of Pakistan separated by a thousand uh, miles of Indian territory, West Pakistan and East Pakistan. And the relationship, to put it mildly, was not a good one. Uh, the West Pakistan, uh, uh, West Pakistani elites uh, really uh, uh, were, were in charge of, 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 of the country. And the East Pakistanis, uh, really felt disenfranchised uh, in terms of their language, their culture, but even in terms of development. And then we had it naturally led up to the 1971 uh, uh, war in which uh, the uh, elections took place and the uh, party from the East Pakistan, the Awami League, won fair and square. But of course, West Pakistani elites could not tolerate that. And that was the war that ended in the independence of East Pakistan into the country that is now known as Bangladesh. The one thing that we need to know uh, that at least since the 1960s, uh, the Pakistani military has played uh, an, an, an uh, overwhelming role in the political life in Pakistan. Um, and so, of course, the, the half of the country's history has been under military rule. Uh, the sad part about it, of course, for, for our viewers, is that the civilian politicians that have come, uh, particularly since the 1980s, um, have not inspired the people to really come out in defense of them either. So for ordinary people in Pakistan, it really did not make much difference uh, whether it was, uh, particularly I'm speaking of the late 80s and early 90s, whether it was military rule or whether it was civilian rule because of the massive corruption and repression of these civilian governments inside Pakistan. And I mean, that in some ways lays the context for a third party to come into this this vacuum of just uh, massive corruption. And I, I must say that those 
the, those two pro political parties, civilian political parties, the major ones were the uh, one, the Pakistan Muslim League of uh, the Nawaz Sharif group, which dominates the largest province in, in Pakistan, which many people claim, uh, many people probably correctly claim, almost has a semi-neocolonial relationship with the other provinces. It is the dominant province. It is where the military is recruited from. Um, and so um, in, in Punjab, they really controlled the Pakistan and, and, and very wealthy and corrupt family. And, and, and they are the political party. And the other richest family also happens to be the main political party, the Pakistan People's Party, uh, that is based in the province of Sindh in Pakistan. Uh, and that is of the Bhutto Zardari um, family. Of course, uh, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, a very popular leader in the 1970s, has, uh, of course, made many mistakes, many, many mistakes, uh, but but of course was very popular and uh, the party is certainly nothing like what it was in the 1970s. So the Pakistan People's Party itself now is uh, the same type of a neoliberal um, party that is just gone along with global capitalism and so on and so forth. And so this is the context and the, uh, in which a party like uh, Pakistan Tariq Insaf the movement for justice under Imran Khan emerges and becomes so popular. You talked about the Pakistani military, which is considered the most powerful institution and enjoys many benefits such as education, land, recreation, healthcare. First, can you talk about the Pakistani military, where it gets its funding from and how is it perceived by the population today? Right. So this is the very interesting situation. I mean, uh, especially the last part of what you said, because the Pakistani military, of course, we also have to understand that uh, let's not let the, the, the British off the hook here. The legacy of the both the bureaucracy and especially the military, because the, the British, I mean, this is they recruited their uh, Pakistani military soldiers and all of these from what they called the martial races, from from the Punjab and uh, what's now known as Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, where the Pashtun and uh, population lives, and which was most affected by this war on terror, and in, in terms of drone strikes, massive displacement, including American pressure on Pakistan to launch operations in the Northwest. So th th these and, and they they are the majority of the Pakistani military. They remain today. So the, let let's start from there. That that's the original legacy, and 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 the problem was that unlike in India, in which you had a the Indian National Congress, a mass movement, uh, the 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 Pakistan Muslim League was you know barely right at the last minute you know was able to negotiate a deal in which they get a separate country, even though. To be fair, uh, the founder of the country, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, initially was just asking for autonomy within a larger uh, British India. So the, the, in that context in which there are there is no political class, really, there are feudal landlords and there's no political class. It's very easy for one institution, which is fairly coherent and possible, uh, uh, powerful and disciplined, etc., to intervene and pretty much run the show. 
And so since that time, it has been able to uh, rule either directly or even if it's not direct martial law, it can control the politicians, it can install which ones it wants, it can oust which ones it wants, etc. and so on. But like as I go back again, uh, and, and yes, that includes uh, the, the, the corruption is on both sides. So often there is this debate. And again, you know, uh, Pakistani voices, there's no single Pakistani uh, right wing voice. There's no single Pakistani left wing voice. I mean, they, you have to understand that, that uh, you know, Pakistan, you know, the, the typical Orientalist tropes about the East is that everyone thinks the same. Everyone in China thinks the same. Everyone here thinks the same. So in my assessment, the the these two major political parties, the Pakistan Muslim League and Pakistan People's Party, these are family dynasties, which just so happen to be the richest families in the country. And their whole uh, purpose in, in entering politics, which uh, for especially... For example, the Sharif family, their businessmen had nothing to do with politics, were introduced by the military dictator into politics by General Zial Haq. They become the richest family. Their whole purpose into coming into politics was to plunder and pillage the country and make as much money as possible. And that they have done success, successfully. And so, uh, so, so instead of this constant debate about Oh, civil military relations and the military intervention, which of course, absolutely the unacceptable level of, of the military's influence in the Pakistani political life and the perks and privileges they give to themselves, which of course the civilian politicians give the, to themselves as well. But that's of course unacceptable. But instead of, I've always argued, instead of seeing them as fundamentally antagonists of each other, They've been more partners in crime in Pakistan than serious antagonists of each other in terms of looting and plundering the country. And for the ordinary Pakistani, it has made no difference. It, it is, just as a final point, it is more about two things. I think that, that can really explain it. One is that who gets more of the piece of the pie? Of, of the Pakistani, you know, uh, when the military feels that they, that these politicians are getting too much uh, uh, money, taking too much more of their share of plundering the country, they start to charge them on corruption, etc., and then oust them. Uh, no uh, civilian politician has served their full five-year term, and so on. So that's one one aspect of aspect of it, and the second aspect aspect of it. Who can be in the better books? Who can curry favor more with Washington? This is an issue, and this is, and we can get more into this. And this is one of the reasons why uh, the military, uh, the, the the common discourse is that Khan was the puppet of the military, and they wanted him. No, that I, I I fundamentally disagree of that with that. I think it was more that these other political parties were constantly having their own secret communication with Washington saying that this military of ours, you know, can you do something about them? So the military really did, did want to punish the other two political parties. 
and they were taking a gamble with Imran Khan, who they at least knew would not be do the would not be engaged in this kind of double dealing with Washington and trying to undermine the military. So leave it at that for now. Explore the rise of Ibrahim Khan. You've given us the whole context of the main political parties and the military apparatus. In 2018, Imran Khan's Pakistan Movement for Justice Party won the elections against this, this entire establishment that you talked about. Can you tell us why um, the establishment, which includes the United States, the Pakistani military and the major political parties, failed and Imran Khan was able to rise above? Absolutely. Just very quickly, because uh, viewers would like, I mean, those that are not familiar with Imran Khan's uh, lifelong trajectory, you know, um, because he he most famously uh, led the Pakistani World Cup, uh, 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 the, the, the Pakistani cricket to the World Cup championship in 1992. Even though he was re he had retired, they had called him back precisely for his leadership skills. Not because he was the necessarily the best player. They had a very talented team, but as a captain and the leadership skills that was he led. So so he and, and he was a kind of a you know a very larger than life figure. And after that he he really didn't know what use he could be. And of course I think he did uh, one of the uh, most useful things, which was basically a full a full scale philanthropy. For, for, for Pakistan, going abroad, constantly raising funds from Pakistani diaspora and others, and within Pakistan as well, built the first free, it used to be in Asia, now that I've checked it, maybe in the world, first free cancer hospital uh, in Pakistan, named after his uh, late mother who died from cancer, Shoka Khanam Memorial Hospital, and now it has several branches. Other than that, in education, schools, all that, that. So that's what he was making use of his time up until about 96, 97, etc. When he fundamentally understood, again, this is not a, a political mind that from the beginning, nothing, nothing at all. But so, so he's learning on the go, you know, he's learning on the go. Then he realizes, OK, this is a situation I can help these people here and there. But fundamentally, this is systemic, this is structural, and that requires politics. That requires entering the field of politics. And that is when in 96 and 97, he founded the, the, his political party, PTI, the Movement for Justice. And, and as I've explained the context, and, and viewers should understand, when you in, in, in many of these Western, what I call not democracies, but plutocracies, uh, you you have these two-party system. You know as well as I do, Zen, how hard it is for a third party to enter into a, a political spectrum, especially dominated by these incredibly entrenched parties that not only can just buy off uh, ordinary voters, we're talking about buying off judges, generals, this is so Khan introduces a third at this late stage in Pakistan's history and immensely popular, immensely popular. So if and I often point this out to, you know, obviously the, the critics of Khan, it's a very simple question that kind of, uh, uh, you know, I mean, makes them think that, OK, well, uh, th that's a, that's that's a point from 1997 to 
right now, even sitting in a in a wretched jail full of rats and mosquitoes, Imran Khan from '96 to right now, if Pakistan had a presidential system, one vote, one person, one vote, Imran Khan would vote win hands down. Now, unfortunately, there's a parliamentary system in which he has to collect a whole bunch of people uh, in Pakistan. Uh, I mean, that's not to say they're not good people. It's just that they, they've never been involved heavily in politics and that type of thing. And yes, the, 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 he had the the establishment insured uh, because they took a gamble with Khan. They knew that Khan is an independent-minded person. They did want to punish the other political parties uh, for for there. I mean, there was there was outright. I mean, open scandals. Memogate was a scandal in which the Pakistan's ambassador to the U.S. under the Zardari regime uh, was telling the United States to please, uh, could uh, you know, put sanctions on our military, control our military because they want whatever. So there's that type, and it was exposed. And you're going to imagine how the Pakistani military high command, and especially the chief of army staff, which I, I, I must emphasize is always the most politically powerful person in the country. And, and so, uh, so, so, so that, that, that they did want to punish those parties for that reason, for these reasons, because they're double dealing with Washington against the military. But with Khan, it wasn't like, okay, now we have our guy and this is our blue-eyed boy, et cetera, that, that we're going to be able to control. It was a gamble, but the, it was a gamble they needed to take because they knew he was immensely popular, so there would be a legitimacy. They, it's not like they just grabbed someone out of the blue to put in power. So he was immensely popular and, and so on. And, and, and at that time, um, so it was one to, uh, to punish the political parties that were doing these double dealing with, with Washington and trying to undermine the Pakistani military. And secondly, there was a tacit agreement on one particular issue, and that was the war in Afghanistan needs to end. The occupation needs to end. This is, as our viewers may know, this was the longest uh, war of the United States in its entire history, externally. Now, of course, my my comrades here will say actually the longest war has been against the indigenous people in the United States itself. But it, externally, this has been the longest war. So on that one point, Imran Khan's main two uh, uh, platforms, why his party, why he became so politically uh, popular, particularly amongst the youth, but everyone, families, uh, and the elderly, and so on. It was two things, the massive pillaging of this country uh, by, by, by the politicians that had come before him. And that was the one thing, the massive corruption and the pillaging of the country and the necessity of establishing some type of welfare state in Pakistan for the most marginalized and, and, and uh, oppressed uh, people in, in Pakistan. Uh, the rule of law, that, uh, that that these massive corruption cases, the National Accountability Bureau of Pakistan is not touching these these rich politicians. So the rule of law applies similar uh, the same to the rich and to the poor, whatever. All of these things, so immensely popular on these things. And the second thing, which again 
uh, we can get to the, the the cipher leak, which is kind of now, uh, you know, making everyone now realize, okay, what what exactly happened in Pakistan a year and a half ago? Um, his from the beginning of the war on terror, the critique of uh, the scathing critique of 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 of, of this uh, military approach to solving the the problem what happened after 9/11, and especially in Afghanistan. And it was fundamentally two points that I think many of us share. It was one that, yes, this is an it's an immoral war that will have a huge human toll, which in fact it did not only in Afghanistan, but it spillover effects into Pakistan as well, uh, which then uh, caused the Americans to pressure the Pakistani government to engage in military operations in its own country in areas it had never gone into, what are known as, the, as FATA, federally administered tribal areas in the Northwest, uh, which is kind of an oxymoron because they were actually not, they're not federally administered, they're quite autonomous actually. And, and, and what that did was only fueled uh, militancy. So, so these were the two points that one, it was immoral and second, Khan was saying this is only going to be counterproductive. It's going to fuel more terrorism militancy. And that is exactly what happened. I, I've been teaching in Pakistan since then, since the 2006, et cetera, suicide bombings. Everyone's been hearing this all across the world, et cetera. The most dangerous country on earth, et cetera. Well, how did it become that way? You know, that, 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 that was the question to be answered. And so, uh, I mean, you know, my students everywhere, they, these rallies of Khan, initially Khan could just win with his one seat, the, the, the elections in, in parliament, he would just win his one seat, etc. But when they, when they realized, I mean, people realized that this is the only alternative, no way in the, is, is Khan or certainly his political party perfect or anything, but uh, we, we need more space uh, in, in the political arena so that the possibility even exists to push a more progressive, a more radical agenda that challenges the status quo. And that explains the rise of Imran Khan, who of course is also charismatic. We don't want to deny that, who's also very charismatic. The, the energy levels of a man who's, who's carrying out rallies in every single city um, after his ouster, which we can get into, um, yes, Absolutely. I mean, after his ulcer, he becomes even more popular. And at this point, even in sitting in a jail, his political party commands about 70 percent, uh, according to even Western polls of popularity in Pakistan. You talked about the rise of Imran Khan. And now, uh, last year in 2022, there was a constitutional crisis and Imran Khan became the first prime minister to be removed from office through a non-confidence motion. According to an investigative journalist outlet called The Intercept, the United States pressures for his ouster. Can you talk about the role the U.S. played and where you think his ouster would have still happened even without U.S. pressure? Right. So I think that uh, th this is very important. I mean, uh, it, 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 it's very important even though I also emphasize that the, the sole focus should not be on just Russia, Ukraine. Although the, the, the diplomatic cable, or what's called in Pakistan, the cipher uh, that was held between the uh, Under Secretary of State, Assistant Secretary of State, 
uh, man by the name of Donald Liu from the State Department and the Pakistani ambassador who was summoned and basically was told that, uh, look, you know, this uh, visit by Imran Khan on the day of the uh, special military operation of Russia into Ukraine on uh, February 24th of uh, 2022, in which Khan, of course, is that meeting was long planned uh, to go there. Khan is going there because the, the, the economy of Pakistan is in dire straits. He's trying to get cheap gas and energy and wheat. <laughs> this is his purpose of going there. On the plane, he's getting off and hears about this invasion, about to shake Putin's hand, and immediately calls are coming, condemn Putin right there and then, <laughs> while he's there. And, I mean, you know, for all the stereotypes that even the Westerners have, big, bad, evil Putin, uh, yeah, would they want to do that? Well, you know, get off and right there sitting in Moscow and condemn him right there? So then when he gets back, even after the trip, immediately, once again, the European capitals demand, send him a letter saying, now you're back, condemn him, uh, the invasion right away, in which then Khan gives this speech. The chronology is very important. That, 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 that uh, letter is sent to Khan to do this right away. Khan the next day makes a speech and says that, do you think that we are your slaves? that anything that you say to us that we will just uh, do and say uh, yeah, we are we are friends of uh, we are friends of Russia we are friends of the United States we are friends of China we are friends of sure Europe we are not part of any alliance this is his exact phrase and at the end he says that and by the way we have been mentioning the the Israeli occupation of Palestine the situation of, of Kashmir's forever has anyone ever bothered to listen to us and, and condemn that? No. But but again, uh, he was uh, uh, the, what what the assistant secretary of state, Don Lu, said that we are very uh, uncomfortable with this aggressive neutrality that Imran Khan displayed uh, in the uh, and the Pakistan government explained. Uh, uh, expressed in their abstention in the vote that was in the United Nations condemning, which, of course, many other countries abstained as well, including close U.S. ally India. Nothing said to India about it, uh, but of course on Pakistan. So uh, what, what I wanted to emphasize, that so this leak uh, that, uh, that at that time when Khan was ousted, uh, I think that the timing the, the U.S. realized the timing was perfect because the generals were also, we have to understand that the military, especially on, on um, foreign policy and national security issues, wants zero interference from the civilian politicians. They can, okay, loot and plunder the country, go do it about their business. But in terms of foreign policy, one example let me give you, you know, uh, you know, uh, Benazir Bhutto, uh, very famous uh, uh, female pr prime minister of, of Pakistan, daughter of Zulfiqari Bhutto, sadly assassinated in 2007, seven, uh, God bless her soul, and so on. During her time in period, in the second, 94, 96, um, her time in period, there in the country, her husband, 
just corrupt as anything. Asif Ali Zardari, who later on becomes president after assassination, which then gives a lot of people, you know, I mean, some thoughts and, and suspicions of who really was behind the assassination. Because how can this, everyone knows who's thoroughly corrupt and, I mean, a, a gangster type becomes president. But so they're doing this while the military is supporting the Taliban in Afghanistan to take power, and they do, and they win in 96. Does Benazir utter a word about it? Nothing. Nothing is being said. So this is a woman's human rights activist, etc. And, and the military is supporting the Taliban there. So th this is what I wanted to explain, that the military has always controlled that. The problem they had with Khan is that no, Khan is saying that I'm the prime minister of the country. I'm definitely going to have uh, some say in what our foreign policy will be and, and, and that it will be an independent foreign policy. No one is going to put pressure on us to do, we will do it for our national interests, not for Washington's, not, even, not for Russia's, not for, we're doing it in our own national interest. And that they could not tolerate. His interference in, in who, in whether in the intelligence services or the chief, who they're going to be, this all of these things this this the military high command top brass could not tolerate and so the timing was perfect the the american national security state but this is the this is the other important point never forgave khan for his consistent opposition to the war on terror and the war in afghanistan so they never forgave khan Trump, of course, we we know is someone who really ignored anything from uh, the what the national security state told him, and so they had two meetings in which he just goes on and on in praise of Khan as this great cricketer and and great and Khan is sitting there just silent and he says, "Well, I'm here to discuss the Kashmir issue and but and and nothing." Yeah, uh, else beyond that. And Trump just goes on and on about how much he likes Khan's personality and so on and so forth. Uh, 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 but but of course, we know the American national security state despises Trump. OK. And, and, and so when the Biden administration comes into power, not a single engagement with Pakistan or specifically Khan, may, probably with the generals, but not with Khan at all. So much so that even when the Afghan withdrawal was taking place, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, in which Pakistan was facilitating the withdrawal of American soldiers, I would be chatting to these soldiers staying in Islamabad hotels. Not one single phone call to Imran Khan by, by the Biden administration, which was, of course, following the complete orders of the national security state. In, in in the U.S. So what I wanted to say is that the, 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 this leak that Khan at that point in, in April when he's ousted by this so-called what I call lawfare, right? I mean, all of a sudden, the, the European Union issued this that he condemns. Khan makes a speech. The next day, the meeting happens between the Pakistan ambassador to the U.S. and the assistant secretary of state, Don Lu, and they... Uh, uh, the, the the threat is made. This um, it's basically a threat that says that look, you know, 
uh, we feel, a, a, pretty much Don Lu is saying that we feel that this is actually just Han. He knows it's Han's position. And uh, let's, a dent has been created in our relationship. And um, let's see in the next few days uh, if, if Khan is still in power. Uh, if he is removed, all can be forgiven. Look at the arrogance of this. The, these are diplomats speaking together. All can be forgiven. What, what has Pakistan done? I mean, so, so that was that. That happens the next day. And in that leak, the, uh, in, in that conversation, there's talk of how to do this, a vote of no confidence motion, which was not even tabled yet. So this was all orchestrated. Uh, defections from Khan's own parties, uh, images showing their visits to the U.S. embassy, bought off, defecting, etc. Still Khan only, I mean, uh, the vote of no confidence just barely he, he lost, etc. But all of these defections, 13 political parties, including the two major ones, had to come together uh, with, of course, the backing, the full backing of the chief of army staff, who also wanted Khan out, General Bajwa, and, of course, Washington and all of European NATO capitals. So it's Khan versus all of these forces. I mean, just think about that. Just think about that. All of these forces. And still, I mean, I think he loses the vote of no confidence. Just barely, I think, in my 10 votes, I, I think. Uh, against all of these forces. And people can see this. People are not stupid, despite even the, what, what many, uh, sadly to say, even the progressives, uh, some left thing, they're not, they can see what's going on here. So a 13-party coalition, including the two major political ones, the Pakistan People's Party, Pakistan Muslim League, have to form a coalition to oust this guy uh, and his party from, from, from power. And after that, and, and, and Khan, and Khan, when this, when, when he, they had a national security meeting saying when this, uh, this diplomatic cable, which was, I mean, completely a violation of diplomatic protocol, etc. Khan took the appropriate measure. It's not like he just went out right away and said that, look, what, what, look at this. He, he sent it to the president. Uh, then they had a National uh, Security Council meeting. He sent it to the Chief Justice, Supreme Court Chief Justice. Said, he followed all the protocols of saying that. The, but, of course, they had a different agenda. The agenda was to get this guy out of power. At the final end, he said that, look, this is what the threat was. This is what the threat was. And, of course, more than 80, maybe even 90 percent of the Pakistani population believed him. Unfortunately, many of our closest friends and comrades and so on and so forth um, were, did not believe him, were, were, were suspected that, no, this is, he's fabricating this. And, and of course, and, and, and then, of course, the military high command and everyone trying their best to hide any paper trail of this. And, of course, at that time, I said um, that, do you really think that the U.S. government or the CIA leaves paper trails of what it's <laughs> up to? And, and, and this is a joke. Often we find out about these things like years later about what exactly happened. Um, and so to expect, 
many people were saying, oh, provide us the evidence of it. You know, I'm, so so you understand what I'm saying. And so uh, now after more than a year, the Intercept gets its leak from a person in the military, in the army itself who leaked it out, which is not surprising. So for a year and a half, peaceful rallies. One thing that must be emphasized, Khan has been the most pacifist uh, uh, in throughout this entire uh, war on terror years and his entire political career against any military solution. He has always argued that these require political solutions, not military solutions. And he, he, he himself then uh, uh, you know, said that that there should be no violence, all peaceful rallies and protests. A year and a half, you know, all of these Orientalist stereotypes about, oh, you let these uh, these Muslims let loose in here or Egypt, etc. They're going to be engaged in violence for over one year. Massive rallies of millions, not even a flower pot <laughs> was was broken. Uh, Think about that. And then all of a sudden, on, on May 9th, when completely orchestrated, again, by the military top brass and their collaborating political uh, uh, parties, to basically, uh, they so he's sitting in the Supreme Court. He's attending all the charges. He's going, Khan is going to all the bogus 190 <laughs> charges they put on him. And he's go he keeps going to, to them, not afraid of anything. Go going to their, he is a the the windows are broken of 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 of, of the court, etc. Abducted by rangers, military rangers. What the heck do they have to do with this? Abducted and put in a car, etc. All or and of course this broad 70, 80 percent of the population of an, a country of two hundred forty million. Yes, they are going to come out on the street and protest. But in terms of the violence and destruction and all of this type of uh, thing, the attack on, the, for example, one, one example, the Corps commander of Lahore, in which heavily fortified, where are the guards? Where is the Corps commander? It was an entirely staged and orchestrated precisely to put these all types of terrorism charges on these on the political party, to decimate the political party, to force the Soviet-style confessions by them that we no longer uh, are uh, in, in, in the, the uh, Imran Khan's political party, we're leaving politics, etc. This is what this brutal military dictatorship has done. Again, but we must emphasize with the collaboration with the other two main political parties. Uh, th th that is what happened, and that is now what has led to basically Imran Khan being thoroughly humiliated and the, and the population being terrorized and given the message that if this can happen to the most popular political and public figure in the country's history, I mean, maybe history, but certainly over the past 20 years, uh, what can it can happen to anyone and far worse. Junaid Ahmed, very interesting, and there's a lot more to talk about. We have to leave it here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Zent, my pleasure, and uh, I would love to uh, you know, be on again to discuss this further. So thank you very much. And thank you for tuning in today.
please make sure to donate if you're watching our videos regularly. We don't take any money from government corporations and don't even allow advertisements. All of this to ensure that we remain independent and non-profit. We have 140,000 subscribers, only few percent donate to us on a regular basis. Please take into consideration that there's an entire team working behind the scenes from camera, light, audio, in the case of our German videos, translation, voiceover, correction. So if you want us to remain independent and continue with our independent and non-profit journalism, make sure to donate today. I'm your host, Zan Raza. See you next time.